Today, Charles is going to be continuing our sermon series where we're taking a look at our feelings, our attitudes, and maybe some of our assumptions about God. So let's welcome Charles. Hi, you guys made it. It's going to be rainy today, yeah? <laughs> but I'm glad you made it. I am so glad we are here together to meet with God. It's fun, right? So I'm so happy you guys are here to uh, worship God together. We've been in a great series called How Do I Really Feel About God? It's been good, yeah? We've been looking at what difference it makes whether we see God as a friend or a master. What difference it makes. Are they the same? They're not the same. It makes a big difference how we see God. And uh, we looked at those differences in uh, the parable of the prodigal son, parable of the talents, these big, famous, well-known teachings from Jesus. And uh, we looked at the older son and the fearful servant in these stories, representing the godly view that sees God as the master to obey and not to offend at any cost. And so they, their lives don't fall apart. They don't lose their mina. They don't fall into the pigsty like the younger son did. Or, or they, don't, they are not reckless like the other servants are. They play safe. They are model people. But neither do they get to enjoy the father's feast. In the kingdom of God. So they end up stuck in this gray world. Between the pigsty and the father's feast. Between one mina and ten cities. And I think many of us feel that way, right? Many of us feel like our lives are not completely falling apart. We're not like in jail. Thank God you are here, you know. So nobody's laughing. I don't know. But So it's a serious topic, right? But, I mean, you don't want your life to fall apart. We don't want to be in the pigsty. But at the same time, just focusing on not being on the pigsty and being responsible, not many of us have this, like, you just wake up in the morning and you just feel great. I just love my life. I can't wait to get up. I just uh, spring in my steps, smile in my face. I just love New York City, love everything about it. Any of you feel like that? You know, maybe like, there's one hand up. Wow, I want to know your secret. But not many of us feel like that, right? We're stuck in a sort of a gray world where we're not entirely satisfied, right? Not everything is going great. It's not going awful. It's not going great either. We're kind of stuck in a gray world in between. And we looked at, like, why does that happen? And what does God have to say about that? And we looked at the, uh, the older son and the fearful servant. And, and one of the things they do, they both blame God for being unfair. Right? They both get angry at how unfair God is. And, and there is truth to that. Life is Sometimes unfair, don't you think? Reality, life, there's injustice, there is 
there are experiences we had that, that, that shouldn't have happened. And how we respond to that, that makes a pretty big difference. And whether our lives keep expanding into Father's Feast or we get stuck in the gray world. How do we respond to injustice, feelings of kind of unfairness? You know, what do we do? We're going to like dive deeper into those themes today in this very well-known story called Mary and Martha. And, she, and Martha also has this experience of feeling like it's unfair and, and she looks for who to blame and there's narrative making and all those things. It's really going to be good to look at. Sounds good? All right, let's, let's dive in. Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Right? There's an exclamation mark there. She's yelling at him. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, so how does Martha really feel about God? Huh? Right? How does she really feel about Jesus? I think there are some complicated feelings here, right? Let's look into this. The story is about two types of sisters. Just like two types of sons or two types of servants we looked at, today we have two types of sisters. And the main complaint from Martha is that Jesus is not being fair. You see that? Right? Just like the older son and the fearful servant were upset with God for not being fair. She's upset with Jesus for not being fair. Why is Jesus not being fair? Martha, she says she, she feels overwhelmed. The passage says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So there's a whole bunch of guests, and so there's a feast, or, you know, you have to welcome them. So she's trying to be a good host, and there's all kinds of preparations, Right? So imagine her running around trying to do all the stuff that requires, I mean, there's an entourage here. You have to cook up a storm, right? So all this stuff that has to be done, and she's short-handed. There's too much to do. So she can just see the failure that's coming. It's not going to go well. She's not going to be able to put on this fee she had in her head, this vision of what she wanted to accomplish there, that's not going to happen. There may not even be enough food for everyone. She can see the shame and humiliation that's going to come when she falls flat on her face. Have you ever had experiences like that? Right? Yes. And, and is that pleasant? <laughs> that's awful, right? You feel awful. So, Whose fault is that? She looks around, 
to find out who to blame. Does that happen to you? When you're about to face failure, do you like look for, now whose fault is this? How did this happen? Right? Very natural. And she fixes on Mary. It's because of Mary this is going to happen. Right? Because she is not living up to her end of the deal. I mean, at the time, there were expectations about what women are expected to be responsible for. Back then, where do women belong? Kitchen, right? That's the proper place for women, right? (laughs) Not anymore, right? That's not what we are preaching here. I'm talking about back then, 2,000 years ago, in the Middle East. You know, things were different back then. Things have gotten better, right? Women, okay, let me just be clear. Women do not belong in the kitchen, okay? Just back then, everybody expected women to be in the kitchen working, to serve the men, right? The men are sitting in the living room. And they are talking about these lofty things like God and important things. And women, you know, they are not even like full human beings back then, right? And so they they should be in the kitchen working. But where is Mary? She's with the man in the living room, sitting there, doing nothing, just I mean, who does she think she is? She's acting like some kind of princess or something. She thinks she's a man or something. You know? Get in your place, woman. Right? I'm sorry for saying these things. But uh, I I don't want to trigger anybody. I'm just like reenacting what people were like back then. that, That we need to move out of. But anyway... But back then, with all that cultural assumptions, do you see why this is so upsetting to Martha? Right? You can see the steam coming out of her. Is it fair that Martha is in the kitchen doing what she's supposed to do when her sister, that no good lazy sister, probably the younger sister, right? It's the, the, uh, you know, irresponsible one. Sitting there with Jesus and the man. And, and, and the more she gets like overwhelmed, the more she thinks about it, the more steam she gets, right? Now, I think she tries to kind of suppress it, you know? But eventually, it leaks, right? Because why doesn't she go to Mary and say, Hey, Mary. We got a lot to do. Can you help me? You know, we got to cook Kung Pao chicken. We got to cook, you know. It's a lot to do. No, she doesn't do that, does she? No. She goes up to Jesus in front of everyone in the living room. And she, I mean, basically she yells out, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me? To do all the work by myself. 
tell her to help me. Right? I mean, she's really upset at Jesus for not being, you know, not setting the uh, things straight, right? She's holding him responsible for not getting this all correct. He's not being, you know, he's not like living up to his end of the deal either. Being a rabbi, being the person who enforces the correct behavior. He's not making Mary go. But this is in front of everyone, right? Awkward. (laughs) Do you think this made Jesus feel all like, oh, I feel so good here. I feel so welcomed in this place. I feel like I'm at home. This is like a nice place where I can just put my feet up and feel good. Or do you think he just felt, whoa, that's a lot of heat coming my way. What happened here, right? Well, isn't that the whole purpose why Martha is bustling about to make Jesus feel welcome, right? I mean, that was the whole purpose of the, the feast or whatever she had to do. Well, she just completely blows that. Why does that happen? Why well, says Martha is distracted by all the preparation? She's not really aware of the effect that she is having on everyone at the moment because she's been pulled into her head. Worries about all the stuff that's going to go wrong, all the stuff that she has to do that pulls her away from being aware and alive to the present moment and how she is impacting people into a whirlwind of distracting thoughts in her head. You see that? The worry about what's going to happen, how unfair it is. I, I sympathize with Martha for being overwhelmed, but she loses perspective because she gets caught up in all this narrative making. When she says, don't you care? Like she is now assuming she just doesn't care. Like she's now making up stories and she's making assumptions. This more than just about how she's overwhelmed. She's got a whole narrative going. Right? Can you see the thoughts behind this outburst? It's like nobody cares. Jesus doesn't care. God doesn't care. Life is so unfair. Mary, that no good, lazy. She's always like this. I'm left holding the bag. I, what's good? About, I don't want. Ah! Right? This whole set of things going on. Right? All this narrative making. And we all do narrative making. When, when, when things are not going well, we fill in the gap. Right? We assume. We make up stories. It's really dangerous. It's really dangerous. Why? You know, when everyone does this, right? Whenever something doesn't work, we, we, we think through, why is this happening? And there's a story we came up, come up with. And I'm here to tell you today, this is really, really dangerous business. It's more dangerous than we think. Although we do it every day, all the time. I mean, even when Subway's late, I have all these stories going on. You know, about unions and government and capitalism. All kinds of stories. Every day. It's really dangerous. I've been reading this book, fascinating, written by Nobel Prize winning researcher. It's called The Telomere Effect, A Revolutionary Approach to Living Younger. Now I'm getting up there in age, so stuff like this is interesting to me, you know? How do you live younger? 
Do you guys know what telomeres are? It's part of your DNA that determines how many times your cells can replicate. Did you know that your cells don't live forever? They die pretty quick, days on average. Most of your cells just die all the time. So the only reason we are kept alive is because before the cells die, they replicate themselves. So just imagine your liver cells are replicating, your heart's replicating, everything in your body is always replicating. And telomeres determine how many times your cells can replicate. When they get short, the cells can't replicate anymore. That's what leads to aging. You get age-related diseases like diabetes, rheumatism, arthritis, all this, you know, bone density loss. All that happens because your cells can't replicate anymore. That's what makes us older, and ultimately we die when they just can't replicate and organ fails. Okay? So got it? It's a pretty important thing in your cell. I hope I have your attention now. And the book says... This is the powerful thing. Your thought life, your spiritual life, it has a huge impact on telomeres, on your cells. Your cells listen to your thoughts. That's a quote from the book. And it's back and the book backs it up with really high quality research, as you would expect from a Nobel Prize winner in physiology. You know, the book says living in our head, rehashing our past experiences, especially of injustice, shame, anticipating failure. This is exactly what the older son does and the fearful servant does and Martha does here. This has the same impact on ourselves as the actual experience of shame and failure. So it just keeps prolonging the effect of shortening your telomeres. Hostility, pessimism, thought suppression, rumination. The book says this is the four horsemen of premature aging. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Halloween, it's scary. These things should scare you. I, I mean, these things... Halloween costumes, they are not real. They shouldn't really scare you. But these things should scare you because it's literally killing you right now. And worse than that, it's, it's leading to premature aging. And so the book talks about how like, you could end up living the last 40 years of your life with just terrible diseases. It calls it disease span. That's even worse, I feel like. And, and so... That's not good. And Martha is showing all four traits. She's pessimistic. She's feeling like it's going to all fail. She's hostile. She's leaking her stress. She's ruminating upon how things are unfair. She's going to die young if she keeps this up. Right? Like the servants, you know? The the mina is going to be taken away before their time. This is why faith matters and why spiritual life matters, guys. You know, there's these faith practices like rejoicing always, being grateful at all times. They're not just commands. 
There are prescriptions from God to help us enter into Father's feast. They're going to help us live with vitality and joy and health into our old age. Doesn't that sound good? Do you guys want to get stuck in a gray world aging prematurely? (laughs) Or do you want to live with joy and vitality and and strength to the day you die? It's a trick question, but I mean, who's going to pick the door number one, right? But right? Amen? Amen. I wish for all of us to live with joy and Father's feast every day of our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let me give you some practical suggestions then on how to get there. But today, I, I mean, we talk about, I mean, all the things we do at this church is going to help us move towards Father's Feast. That's our purpose. But for today, first, get rid of toxic expectations. Watch out for toxic expectations. All this is happening to Martha because of toxic expectations. She had expectations of Jesus and Mary and on herself that became toxic, right? Don't you think Martha kind of put some pressure on herself to be a good host? He says a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Well, doesn't Mary live there too? It's the home of Mary and Martha. But it says Martha welcomed him and the entourage into her home. Well, maybe it's because she is the head of the household. You know, maybe that's the custom. But maybe also because maybe this was her identity. She's the one. She's the one known to be welcoming. She's the one that, right? I mean, uh, is, there, is there like one thing you're known for? Do you have like a reputation? Some people do, right? They're just known for this. I'm known for that. I think Martha may have been known for, the, for being the woman that welcomes people, you know, being a good host. Certainly, the society at the time judged and measured women by, and this was a big, big factor. How welcoming are you? How good at hosting people are you? And that's going to be a huge judgment on you. And people are going to measure your worth around that. You know, and, and the women, I'm sure, have taken that in. And they measure themselves of their self-worth, of their value, of how good a person they are on these expectations. That's everybody. We all have these expectations and judgments in our head that forms a basis of how good a person we are. For example, I hate being late. I just hate being late. I get sweaty when I anticipate I'm going to be late. And I chalk that up to uh, I'm so considerate of people. I don't want to waste their time. I'm a considerate person. Therefore, I'm on time. And that makes me a good person. That's a deep narrative in my head. I pride myself on being on time. My father, he was a a professor of German philosophy 
And he used to judge people harshly for being late. You know Germans, they are like on time. He took that in. And I took some of that into myself, you know. And, and that's why it's such a dangerous business, you know, judging what makes you a good person. It can lead to narrative making and, and ironically make you a really mean person. Like Martha just became a little mean, trying to be welcoming. <laughs> you know, because it's really about her and it's really about me. Not about other people. It's about me and how I feel about myself. Last week I uh, was at a dentist. It was a new dentist I was trying out. And they made me wait 40 minutes beyond the appointed time. You know, first five, ten minutes, I'm like, you know, I'm a godly person. I'm a rat. God is in control. I have faith. You know, 20 minutes in, I start having narratives. You know, maybe they are racists. Because they see I'm an Asian. They make me wait so long. You know? Right? You know, maybe they're just so incompetent. You know, should I just leave? Because, I mean, if they can't keep time, how do you trust your teeth to people who can't even keep time? And so, I mean, I just, my hostility, right? You know, I'm at a a dentist's office. They're racist. They're incompetent. They're going to screw up my teeth. I'm going to have to, like, pull out half my teeth because of them. Right? So the, the narrative making, and so you become hostile. You could sense, like, I could just, like, I was, like, emitting hostility. Right? People can tell. Awkward. Right? When all it was, was there was an emergency case just right before me. You know, it was just somebody, uh, just a major emergency case, and the doctor had to take care of this because, you know, it was an emergency. And if they were my dentist, I would want them to take care of me if I had an emergency, you know? (laughs) But all this narrative making and judgments from, I think you get the point. I think my telomere is shortened by about 10% (laughs) in that 40 minutes. (laughs) Hostility, pessimism, rumination, you know? Four horsemen of premature aging. Man, it's a good thing to be a good host. And it's a good thing to be on time. But if that's what makes you a good person, that becomes dangerous business. It will kill you. This is where faith comes in. Christian faith is built on this fundamental creed that Jesus took care of being a good person on the cross. He took care of all judgment, all shame, all guilt. We are good before God. We cannot add one whit to our goodness and our value by anything we do. Amen? Amen. Jesus said it is finished. It is finished. We are good before God. And that is the task of the faith, that we fight the good fight of faith. And we believe in that as opposed to believing that being on time makes me a good person. Being a good host makes me a good person. 
making a lot of money makes me a good person. That's what you have to fight and believe that Jesus has you. Jesus died for you for this. We stand on this rock. And you see how powerful that faith is. It's so powerful, it actually has impact on our physical life. Our cells will listen to your thoughts on this. So let's fight the good fight of faith. You know, I love it that you guys are here on a rainy day. This helps you. This will help you live longer, better, healthier, because you are hearing these good faith filled things and your thought life is changing even now this is why church and faith matter it's going to add to your life so try to identify some of these toxic expectations you might have you know what what do you what do you got going you know i got i'm on time because i'm a considerate person Other things might be, I'm competent, I'm responsible, I'm a good mom, I'm reliable, I'm charming. Live, don't live by these things. Live by faith. Because these things will make you anxious. Most of our anxiety is not about physical survival, but about failing to live up to these expectations we have in our head. Like Martha. I mean, think about this. So what if Martha fails to cook enough food? So what? We were talking about Jesus here. You know, he can multiply food. You know this. They've seen this. Martha and Mary have seen Jesus multiply five loaves of bread. It's okay. You don't have to perform for God. God doesn't need our performance. God doesn't want minions. God wants friends. Right? It's the difference between old and new covenant. We don't perform for God. God doesn't need performance. What does God need that we can do for him? That he can't do for himself? What kind of God would that be? So be a good friend to yourself because God is a good friend to you. Because Martha is so critical to herself, it leaks out. This is one of the tips from the book, Ptolemy Effect. When you anticipate failure and shame, be kind to yourself. Treat yourself like a good friend would. So just picture yourself, when you're anticipating failure, picture yourself being a good friend to you. What would a good friend say to you? When you might fail. Not a bad, mean friend. Good friend. What would they say to you? Because that's what Jesus would say. You know, otherwise, if you get really harsh on yourself, you can kind of even feel like this is a virtue, but that can make you feel really alone. When you judge yourself, you are going to become isolated and alienated because you have just taken the place of God and you're going to get cut off from God's reality. 
Look at what Martha says. Don't you care, Lord? She has left me to do all the work by myself. Do you see how alone she feels? She feels like nobody's seeing her. She has to do all the work and she's by herself. I feel for her. My heart goes out to her. She feels so alone. But is it so easy to do when you see yourself as a servant for God needing to perform all these things? When you are a responsible person, responsibility is good. But you can get really alone because you can end up making all these narratives and that's a construct of your own. It's not because the dentists were racist that they were making me wait. It's a false reality, but it feels real to me. But in that false reality, a construct of my own, I'm going to be cut off from God. Because God does not exist in false reality. You can only connect with God in real reality. It is God of reality. And so you're going to get cut off and you're going to feel really alone when you're in that judgment space, when you're in that narrative-making space. And that's not good. The cross says, we are never alone. You got to keep telling yourself that. You are never alone. That's the reality. God will never abandon us. Jesus says in this passage, only one thing is needed. One thing. What is that? There are many possibilities, but for today, I want to focus on what Mary has done because in Greek, the passage says she has chosen that one thing. What has she chosen? She has chosen to sit there listening to Jesus like a good friend would do instead of being in the kitchen performing for him. And I'm pretty sure there would have been stares at her. Right? 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, the men are sitting around doing men thing. And there's this woman just sitting there I mean, in a lot of places, they are not even allowed to sit together, you know? But here she is, sitting there. Instead of in the kitchen preparing food for them, she's sitting there. What do you think? The men, the apostles, the disciples, they were kind of boneheads, right? In a lot of the stories of Jesus. So what do you think they were thinking and doing? I think there would have been daggers in the stairs. What is she doing? Who does she think she is? A lot of judgments. You know, usually when you're in a room and people are looking at you and judging you, you can feel that. Right? I'm sure she felt this, but she stays. She does not leave. She just stays. That took a lot of guts. You know, either she is completely unaware emotionally or she is choosing this actively against all cultural expectations of her day. That's not easy to do. She has chosen this. Chosen to sit with Jesus and listen to him like a friend would. This is key to understanding New Covenant faith. Friendship requires really only one thing. Enjoying the presence of each other. Right? I mean, that's the whole point of friendship. You enjoy each other. Everything else arises from that. 
Servanthood requires many things. You have to perform many tasks. But friendship is really about enjoyment of each other. You know, old covenant faith can hurt. It can pile on shame and guilt and pressure and expectation to make us behave. And it's good to behave. But when it becomes the basis of being a good person, when it forms the basis of identity, how do we become a good person in Christian faith? I want to show you two t-shirts. Jesus died for me because I am loved as I am. Is that new covenant faith or old covenant faith? This is the new covenant. Jesus died for you. What have you done for him lately? Which one is that? That's the servant mentality, old covenant faith. Right? Friendship, servanthood. Mary, Martha. It's good to behave. It's good to be responsible. It's good to be on time. But don't let that be your faith. That's just common sense to make your life work. Faith goes beyond that. We want to be a church built on the new covenant. Amen? Amen. Friendship with God. God is a good friend to you who will never abandon you. That faith will help you develop stress resiliency. You can bounce back. It will help you maintain hope and confidence. It will give you a sense of purpose. All those things are proven to lengthen your telomeres. It's proven. So let's do it. Yes? Let's fight the good fight of faith. Get away from old covenant faith, which will kill us prematurely. Let's be like Mary, trusting in Jesus to be kind to us, to protect us, to be with us, be a good friend to us. That's how we enter the Father's feast. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you that your desire for us is for us to enjoy the Father's feast every day beginning now. Not just after we die, but beginning today. Help us to enter into a life built on faith that will help us to retain joy, gratitude, resiliency, that will help us be strong and joyful until the day we die. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.